That means that you need to pray regularly. It means you need to pray continually. We get it the same way that we get every other Christian gift. It is bestowed on us for the sake of Christ to the glory of God. So you pray. That's the first thing. You cultivate your zeal with knowledge. Knowing God and His Word really propels us to action. Now I'm not talking about reading a few chapters, then rushing about, or rushing through your Bible reading plan. What I'm saying is you need to meditate on what you read. You need to think about it, memorize it, pray it, and then put it into action that day, that week. Get busy with activities that give life to your soul. Reading God's Word, prayer, worship, regular church involvement, sacrificial financial giving are ways that you can stir up zeal for the church. Constantly asking the question, what can I give to God? The next thing you need to do is cast the first stone at yourself. You need to look at Spending your energy in confessing and getting forgiveness of your own sins. True Christian zeal is a zeal for humility. It is a zeal to put to death the pride in our lives. Jesus' boldness with, was, in, was radical, self-giving love. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. How many of us have that same mindset today? How many of us come to church to serve? Or be served. Man, I really hope the pastor doesn't go extra long today. I really hope that he's interesting this morning. I hope that he's not boring. We want to be served. And we are going to go long. Because I'm only on point one. So just add by subtraction. Are things like pride and selfishness, comparison and bullheadedness damaging your faith? Why are husbands and wives commanded to get along in the New Testament? For the sake of our prayers. It's hard to pray when you're angry at your spouse, isn't it? It's hard to pray when your spouse is really being a big old jerk. And the reality is you that's the jerk, right? And so we recognize that when we are not loving our spouses right... We are being prideful. Our prayers are affected. It damages our faith. What is occupying your time? Are there things in your life that is adding to your lethargy in the faith? Is social media taking away from being actively attentive to your family? Are you still caught up in the next YouTube video, TikTok, scroll, whatever else they call them out there, Facebook reels? Are you so wrapped up in this that your kids are being neglected? Are you staying up late on Saturday night. Missing church on Sunday. This, this is one reason why I'm passionate about the local church. is because faithful attendance and fellowship in God's house is essential to our growth. It's essential. Show me someone disconnected from the local church and I will show you someone that is spiritually sick. Someone who is susceptible to any number of spiritual errors. Heresy thrives in the dark places. We see that the Jews don't challenge the legitimacy of Jesus driving these folks out. They didn't say, why are you doing this, Jesus? They didn't, they didn't say that. They said, under what authority do you have to do this? So they agree in principle with his actions. 
It's very fascinating. Look at verse 18 quickly with me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? They didn't say, you can't do this. They agreed with what was going on because they knew it was a travesty. When John talks about the opponents of Jesus and refers to them as the Jews, quotation marks, right? He is not saying that all the Jews are against Jesus, just the religious leaders of the time. And so we see that John uses this to represent the opposition that Christ experienced from the Jewish leadership. And they ask a legitimate question. If you are a prophet, you should provide a sign. This is what the Old Testament tells us. A prophet is required to show a sign that what he says is going to happen. Right? If you have a prophet show up and start saying the, the world is going to end in 50 days, and you say, okay, show us that you are truly a prophet. Make something happen. If that 50 days comes along and guess what didn't happen, they're a false prophet and they are not to be listened to. In fact, in the Old Testament, you stone them. So in the New Testament, we just don't listen to them. Okay, So if someone prophesies and they are wrong, they done. They are no prophet of the Lord. So just keep that in mind as you see all these prophets who continue to make predictions. Jesus never falls into the trap, though, because they want a magician. They want someone to pull a rabbit out of a hat. They want someone to, on demand, provide them with miraculous events. And Jesus doesn't do miracles for his own sake. He does them for the sake of others. Every miracle he does is for someone else, whether he has compassion on them or for their good. And then we have a temple discussion, verses twenty or 19 through 20. He starts talking about the temple. As you and I all know, what he's talking about is his own death, right? He's referred to himself as the temple, and Jesus responds with the prediction of the death and resurrection. But here's what's, what we need to take with us for next episode, for next Sunday, is the Jewish leaders, they miss the point. They miss the point of what Jesus is saying. We see the pattern play out. Nicodemus Nick at night is what uh, Ryan and I have been referring to him. Right? He comes to Jesus at nighttime. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the, in the dark of night and asks him questions. And Jesus talks about being born again. And Nicodemus is over here trying to like do math and figure out how a grown man can come out of the, the womb again. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point once again. And then guess what happens with the woman at the well? She wants, he want, God is talking to her about her life. And she begins trying to talk to him about theology. She misses the point. So the Jesus that we see in John is one who is uh, insightful in the things of the spiritual realm. Now we see John looking back, verses 21 through 22. John, the beloved disciple, the author of this book, looks back and kind of gives us a commentary. Verse 21 says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement that Jesus had made. Remember, the disciples at this point had no idea what in the world was going on. They seemed to be lost. But now, post-resurrection, this event was good for their faith. It was caused them to believe more clearly in who Jesus said that he was. So we have this major conflict that arises between Jesus and the Jews and really even his own disciples 
because they all misunderstand what Jesus is doing. John masterfully points out how Jesus is taking is talking of the spiritual life that can only be understood by faith, while everyone else is wrapped up in the physical. Now, our circumstances can affect us. We can have bad things that happen to us, but it's really the spiritual side of things where we can put our trust that ultimately matter. Is who are you trusting? Are you trusting in Christ alone? Or are you Christ plus my own physical fitness? Christ plus my favorite YouTube video. Christ plus my Netflix series. Christ plus my retirement plan. Christ plus. Means no Christ at all. So what can we take away from this event? Well, we can take away that Jesus is concerned about God's honor and glory. We can can take away that the Gentiles who came to worship should not be crowded out by the commercialism of the time. And that that Jesus had zeal for God the Father's house. Now, this zeal is an example to us when it comes to what is acceptable with anger, and in, in particular, sinful anger. We also see the foreshadowing of the conflict between Jesus and the religious and political rulers of the day because they missed who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who came to save. John wants you to understand that Jesus predicted his own death, that he pointed to his resurrection, knowing that he would die and three days later be brought back from the grave. This passage that shows us a sinless Jesus who knowingly and willingly came to die for you and for me. This is a reminder that we need every day. The gospel, the good news, is not just a one and done reality. It is what you must remind yourself of daily. It is a regular thing. So this new year, how can you cultivate a greater love for Jesus? I'm talking to each and every one of you in this room. Do not let this new year be a year where you sit back on your lazy boy and coast. The church is not a cruise ship. It is a battleship. It is an aircraft carrier. We are sending people out to combat. So how can you cultivate a greater love for Jesus? What is preventing you from coming into the house of the Lord and having the zeal and honor and glory of God? in your life. Maybe you need a reading plan. In the back, Ryan has printed out a few selections to choose from. Please take one and apply it this year. Regular, consistent reading of God's Word turned into a habit will do you more benefit than any Netflix show that you could watch this year. It will do you more benefit than any donuts you forgo. It will do you much better than any other physical therapy that you are thinking about doing. Get in the Word first. Make that your priority. Put your phone down. Don't stay up watching movies. Get in the Word. I'm begging you this year, if you really truly are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to know Him more. How can you cultivate that? Through prayer, through meditation. That's your challenge this coming year. Get a reading plan and read through it. If you're not good at consistent reading, 
start with John. Read John 1 today. Read John 2 tomorrow. Read John 3 the next day. And make it a habit to get into the book of John. And then when you get done with John, after 21 days, there's another Bible book you could read. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the book of Acts. Get in the Word, study it, pray it, meditate on it. And man, I'm so excited to see what God is going to do with Sierra Vista Baptist Church this coming year. Our focus is going to be on our community. How can we engage our community? So be thinking about your neighbors. Be thinking about the clubs and activities that you are involved in throughout the year. How can you engage those people with the Word of God? How can you share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ? The easy way is to ask them what their faith background is. And next thing you know, you have a full-blown conversation on spiritual things. That's what I do with my barber every time. And it's always something new. It's exciting. So find out what the people around you believe and then point them to the truth, to the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us. We thank you for your word that speaks truth. God, I pray that everyone in this room would, would be consumed with a hunger and a thirsting after you that we would all seek to know you, and that we would not spend our silver and gold on things that don't matter, but take the free gift that comes from Christ, that we would be restored in our hearts, that our, our joy would expand because we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, is goodness, is faithfulness, is gentleness, and is self-control. Lord, we need each one of those things in expanding measure. And the greatest of these is love. So, Father, I pray that we would be sacrificial to one another this coming year. That we would be a church that is known for our love of one another. Teach us to love each other. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.